0: What's up, podcast people? Hope everyone's having an awesome week watching a ton of Olympic action. There's a number of Edmontonians at the Games right now, so I'm hoping to have some recently decorated Olympic medalists on the show when they return. My guest this week is, and I really hate saying this word, former Edmonton Eskimo James Franklin. Now, we were lucky enough to have James in the City of Champions for three years as he filled the backup quarterback role behind talented vet Mike Riley. This offseason, James was traded to the Toronto Argonauts and re-signed in the six for two more years. It's devastating to see a guy like James leave the city. He was a leader on the field as well as in the community. His magnetic personality and undeniable charm will be missed, but I wish him nothing but the best in his career, and I know big things are ahead for this wonderful human being. Listeners, I give you James Franklin. And we're live, sitting here with James Franklin. James, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate the time. I know you've had a lot going on lately, um, so it means a lot to me that you're, that you're here today. What's yeah. going on? You're looking good. Thank you. I've been uh, training um, in particular for something
1: that I never thought I'd be training for, and that's the, uh, so when we have our daughter coming up. You know, and we're going to have take pictures and stuff when she's born. And we're going for a natural childbirth. But one of the things that we're going to do is skin to skin. Yeah. And so Kaylee, you know, is going to do skin to skin. And I am too. And so Kaylee told me, my wife, a couple weeks, months (laughs) ago. I was like you better be ready because you're gonna do skin to skin with her too so i've been doing extra abs i've been doing extra <laughs> cardio to make sure if pictures are taken i'm gonna look extra good doing skin to skin with my daughter
0: <laughs> <laughs> well don't get too hard like she's gonna be like oh you're uncomfortable give me back to mom uh, that's true i gotta soften up a little bit so so how far out are we from uh from baby franklin
1: um just under two weeks two so weeks. official due date's march 4th yeah. but we're probably I mean sooner or later I and mean, it, it's just a rough estimate I'm predicting between February 21st and 23rd which mm-hmm. is you know a couple of days from now yeah so uh, I'm pretty excited but whenever she gets here she'll get here but we're making sure we we've been doing um, so it's called the I've been reading this book called husband coach childbirth the Bradley method so just learning a lot to kind of educate myself on making sure um, things that I kinda of know what to expect and, and have a rough idea of you know what to do And I've really been enjoying that, so just kind of been
0: preparing and relaxing and, you know, getting excited for when the day comes. What are some things that you've learned in preparing for this that (laughs) that you never expected to know or or totally surprised you? Well, uh, the ambiotic fluid that the baby is in (laughs) is pee.
1: Come on. Their own pee, yeah. Okay. So they they drink it, they pee it out, and like that's what that is. But it's really clear, and it's different than our own. Yeah, it's not. I mean, you know, people think you're in your own pee, but it's a <laughs> little bit different. But I didn't know that that was like that, and I also didn't realize um, that there's a second. If you're having one kid, you still birth twice. The first time is a kid. The second time is a placenta. Okay. Which I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I've been learning things like that that are really cool. they like, kind of interesting at first, and you think like, oh, that's gross. But
0: then, once you understand it a little bit more, it makes sense. Okay, well, I've already learned something today, so it's a success. <laughs> what about like, what about like, um, like broad spectrum, like <laughs> about being like a father, about humanity, or, or you know, about just being a good example, things like that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the big things that my wife and I have really taken into this is like
1: we. Everyone says when you have kids, your life's over. Oh, they're going to control your lives. Like, you're not going to have time to go to the movies or go out to dinner and things like that. And we understand that. It is going to be different. It's going to be a huge life change, but we don't want to alter our lives completely around them. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but you know, when we took our vows, we vowed to each other, mm-hmm. um, and we're very spiritually based, so we we have a lot of um, a lot of drive from that. But so when we have our darling, we're going to love her, we're going to pay attention to her, we're going to give her what she needs mm-hmm. and, and everything like that. But you know, we still want to get her used to the lifestyle that Lord willing she'll be in. Uh, Years from now, she'll get used to so if we want to go to a movie, you know We'll try going to a movie and then if we have to go out to feed her, we'll go out to feed her But we're not gonna let that deter us from from doing that, but I've just been so excited uh, Just to to get to be a dad. Yeah, and I know everyone says, you know, you'll it'll change you and you'll never expect uh, What how you're gonna feel and things you're gonna want to do being a father and especially having a little girl Uh, And so I'm trying to prepare myself, but I'm just really excited about I'm trying to stay positive just because we, we've we heard a lot of, not necessarily negative, but more so things like, oh, you know, prepare for this, prepare for that. Not necessarily in a good way. It's just mm-hmm. like you're going to have to change a lot. Like, we get that, but we're excited for that change. Right. So we're, we're just trying to to keep an open mind and
0: also just keep a positive attitude well it's the perspective of like you get to do it versus you have to do it yeah and right. I don't think that's harsh at all like that you're not making your kid number one you are still vowed to each other because I think this is like a common theme that's coming up more and more like I've seen a few articles saying like look like don't make your kid like your top priority You're still top priority in any situation is you because yeah. if you can't take care of yourself you can't take <laughs> care of a kid right very true um, and I also heard a really interesting take on from a guy named Jordan Peterson he's a professor at the University of Toronto and he said one of his principles is don't let your kids do things that make you dislike them <laughs> right? like because like you know it <laughs> If your kid is constantly misbehaving, no matter how much you love them, like, you know, feelings of contempt can come up, and it, you just almost like that love-hate boundary is so thin sometimes, yeah. you know. The people that are closest to you can frustrate you the most. So yeah. set the precedent early. Like, don't let them do things that make you think they're a jerk, right? Yeah. That's what I just learned, or not learned, but it kind of clicked in
1: my head. Like, I love dogs. Mm-hmm. And whenever we went over to our friend's house a couple nights ago, and they had a dog, and he was well-trained. I um, mean, they told him once, and he listened, and I was just like, you know, it's it's re- pretty cool. Um, whenever they're puppies, you have to make sure you discipline them, and it's hard because they're so cute and adorable, and you yeah. don't want to discipline them, but you do it when they're young, and then when they get older, they'll listen, and then he said, yeah, it's the same when you have kids, you know? <laughs> if you want to be a certain way, you got to put in the time and effort in the beginning, and then when you get older, you have to tell them once, and they'll do it, and yeah. so uh, it's kind of a funny analogy, but it made a lot of sense, and he's got to be willing to put in that time and effort and like he said or like he had said you don't want to let your kids
0: do things that make you not like them and yeah I definitely want to like my kids. So I, I can tell you're really pumped to be to be a father and that makes sense because your biggest role model in your life is your father, correct? Yeah, yes, sir. That's right. So, yeah. Is, first of all, is he a grandpa yet? Or is this oh, his yeah. first grandpa? He is? You no. Know, so, he's... Uh, I've got three older sisters. Yeah. And they all have
1: kids. So, I'm the last one. You're the baby? Oh. Well, he says he's the baby because he never leaves mom. Yeah. But, yes. I'm right above the baby. I'm the youngest one. And I would say... He's most excited about mine because I'm I'm clearly the favorite out of my family. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm the last one, and he has my oldest sister has two kids, born a girl. Mm-hmm. My middle sister has a boy, and my youngest sister has a boy, and mm-hmm. so I'll be the last, and uh, they're pretty excited. But for my wife, she's the first one in her family of her siblings
0: to have kids, mm-hmm. so her parents will be first-time grandparents. That's really exciting. So. Your father was a huge, um, huge role model for you and a huge influence in terms of your career path and playing professional football. Um, wh- what did he do when you were younger that, that made um, you know, that made you want to play football? or was it lead by example or, or was it you know, did he push you to get into football?
1: No, not at all. So he, he played football. He was a track athlete. He was an all-American wrestler and then a football player. He played pro for two years. But, um, you know, to, and he's a motivational speaker and an evangelist now. And so kind of wanted to always follow his footsteps because when I was younger, I saw how he interacted with people. And he's a big people person. He would make him smile, make him laugh. I mean, he could become friends with anybody. And um, I, I always found that really inspiring. And people would always say, like, oh, your dad's the best. Or, oh, your dad this. And to this day, people tell me stories about my dad from, like, 40 years ago. And they remember like it was yesterday. And growing up, my parents were both athletes and um, they'd always play with us in the yard. You know, we, I'd play basketball, football, soccer, track, baseball, I mean, I did every sport I could, but it wasn't like, okay, I have basketball practice at five, and then I gotta go to football practice at seven, and then this practice there. Like, I'd do them one at a time. I'd have one practice, that'd be it. I'd come home, and you know, my dad'd be like, hey, you wanna go throw the ball around, or you wanna shoot some hoops, or, you know, it was always just playing with my dad. And I was playing all these sports, and I was getting better, and I was learning the hand-eye coordination, and learning the skills I needed to. And then finally, uh, I was in the fifth grade, fourth grade, and I wanted to play football. And he said, uh, I said, Dad, can I play football? And he was like, uh, well, you have to do 100 push-ups for a year. If you want to play football, you have to do 100 push-ups for a year. And then after that, like every was day, was play Every day. Every day.
0: <laughs> and How so, was day one of that? How, did you I get to a 100? I took a
1: lot of breaks. I took a lot of breaks. I got to 100. Yeah. But it was like, you know, I pop out 15 or so, yeah. and then pop out another 15. But then... After I got over, like, 50 or 60, I had to start doing them, like, 5, 10 at a time. Uh, but then I finally did it, and it it helped me set goals that I didn't even realize I was setting. And so, anyways, the year went by, and then I'd done it every night. Dad, I did it. I want to play football. And he said, okay, but this time you have to do 200 push-ups every day for a whole year during the season. Or during while you're playing football. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so I did it. And so I was playing football, playing basketball, I was playing all these sports. And what he was doing is he was instilling work ethic in me. Mm-hmm. He didn't make me do them. He said, if I wanted something, this is what I had to do. And I, I really like that because uh, I see a lot now, like these young young, upcoming athletes, their parents are making them do all these different things, have all these different trainers. And it doesn't become fun. Mm-hmm. And anybody knows when you're having fun, no matter what you're doing, you enjoy what you're doing. Of course. And you're going to play harder at it. You're going to do no. better at it, right? Want to improve. Way more. And there's not a lot of pressure because you're just enjoying yourself. And so. Um, I wanted to get into football because it was physical and I told you I had three sisters and so I wasn't allowed to touch and my dad, you know, raised me not to, to hit a woman, not to rough them, nothing. Yeah. And so uh, I didn't have any brothers and so I wrestled with my dogs but you know sometimes they'd bite <laughs> me and that would hurt. And yeah. Yeah. tried wrestling with my dad but he was clearly a lot stronger so it was never fair. And so um, you could be physical in football and not get in trouble and, and I like that. And I like that you know, it was the biggest team sport in America. And it was a, it's a, team, it's such a team sport. You have to learn how to work together. You have to learn to work together mm-hmm. with people from so many different backgrounds, from different upbringings, different beliefs, uh, but to achieve a common goal. And that's what really attracted me towards it. Um, and seeing how my dad was able to interact and and reach people and work with people, he said he learned that through sports. He learned to work with you know, random people from everywhere around the world through sports and football. As you know, there's. there's uh, in, Canada, in Canada, they keep 53 on the roster, I'm sorry, 46, and then it goes up to 53, and then in the U.S., it's 53, and then when you're in college, you have about anywhere from 80 to 100 guys on the team, and yeah. so, uh, yeah, so there's 85 guys on scholarship, mm-hmm. and then they had they keep about 20, 25 walk-ons, which is just guys that don't didn't earn scholarships, and so uh, you learn just to work with so many different people, and I just wanted to be a people person like my dad. How'd the uh, high school football career go? Uh, it was pretty good. So I played receiver, defensive end, linebacker, um, pretty much every other position except for quarterback, the position I'm playing now. Yeah. And so I grew up in Texas, and uh, as everyone says, like that's where t- football was born. But come to find out, Canadians created football. Oh. But uh, so it's just it's huge, though. I mean, in my high school games, we'd have anyone from 10, 15, 20, up to 50,000 people coming to a high school football game. That's insane. That was just the norm. No, yeah, yeah. that was the norm. we play in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium all the time, and yeah. people would come from everywhere. And so I ended up playing receiver for my freshman, sophomore year, and then junior year I got switched to quarterback. And um, I had some success with that. I got some scholarships. But a lot of schools were looking at me for athlete, mm-hmm. meaning they'd put me at receiver, defensive ends, any other position except for quarterback. But yeah. in my
0: head, I wanted to be a quarterback. Was that uh, is, does that look like a Sorry, is that looked at as a positive? A guy who can play multiple positions, or do they really prefer at that point that you specialize? Uh, a positive if you're trying to get scholarships
1: to colleges, because then, um, say you're playing receiver and you might not be the best receiver, but you're a really good athlete, you have really good ball skills, you mm-hmm. can change speed really well. So a school doesn't want you for a receiver, they want you for a defensive back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're, as long as you're wanting to go for, just to get a scholarship to be on a team for any position, that is good. But if you want a, a specialty position, um, it's not the best thing because then they're probably not going to give you
0: a chance to stick with that position because they have a different plan in mind for you. Right. So what drew you to the quarterback position when you were playing all these other ones? Was it the, the case of you want what you can have? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And um, But a lot of it was
1: it was the toughest position mentally. Like re- Responsive. Okay, so let me rephrase this because I've gotten a lot of slack for this over the years. <laughs> okay. So physically... Not the toughest position. Right. I mean, that's Unless like, you really got a bad O-line, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like if you have a bad O-line, it's terrible. But as far as responsibility, the quarterback has the most responsibility. And that doesn't mean it's the toughest position, but there's just a lot of mental strain and, and sometimes pressure because you have to know what everyone's doing on offense. You have to be able to predict what they're doing on defense, make a throw on time, uh, manipulate around in the pocket. And so, uh, but I wanted to play it because it, it was the toughest position. And at the time, like receiver and defensive end, that was easy for me. And that was tough and then when we would win or lose games a quarterback would get the blame whether he deserved it or not and I felt bad because I'm like man why are they all they're killing this guy for losing the game or like why are they giving all the glory when or he's taking all the glory when it was like a team win and so I wanted to be the guy in that position to take the heat but also share the the wealth as Mm -hmm. far as like hey it wasn't just me like it was receivers the O line the defense kind of thing and that's what drew me to want to play quarterback because naturally it is a leadership position Mm -hmm. but I wanted to be able to, if we are going to take the blame, take the heat, I wanted that to be on me instead of someone else. And I wanted to make sure everyone got credit for a win. Everyone got credit for, for doing something
0: that, or accomplishing a win and not just the quarterback. Right. Did that drive to want to be a leader? Did that come from your dad?
1: I would say so, yeah, a little bit. Um, he never pressured me to, to get into football, to get into sports at all. Uh, he never pressured me to um, get into speaking or, or anything. It, it's just how I saw people react to him, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, man, that's, that's cool. And that's motivating. I mean, people, he's not making anybody do anything. They're just deciding to respond or to follow him. And I thought that was really cool because you don't see that very often. A lot of times people are forced to do something, but going on their own will, um, to follow somebody, that's not something you see every day. So I, I saw him, people responding to him so well that I thought, you know, that'd be really cool if, I could be, do that one day. I could be like him one day. So, yeah, I'd say so. He, he did have a pretty big impact on me wanting to be like in a leadership
0: position. So when did you get your first chance to play quarterback? In high school or college. Well, regularly. Oh, uh, well,
1: kind of with my dad. So he would in track and field. Uh, his main thing was the javelin. Mm-hmm. So he had a cannon. <laughs> so then we go to all these like different church camp, sports camps, and everyone knew that he – played football before and that he could throw the ball really far so we would go and he could throw a football 85 yards so we would go you know 60 70 yards away and then he'd launch it and all the kids are down like, ah, and they're jumping up for it and then but you're like a foot taller than them, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my yeah, ball so unfair advantage yeah and then they instead of like someone else running it back he was my dad. So like james run it back yeah so i'd run it back but as a kid, and I was a pretty chubby kid too, uh 60, 70 yards, that's a long way to run. And then right. I have to run that back. Right. So then I, I started thinking, I'm going to start throwing it back. So I was at 20 yards and then 30 yards and finally over time worked my way back and I developed a little bit of an arm. And yeah.
0: so, Was he coaching at that point or were you just don't doing know. what you thought was right? I was just doing what I thought was right. Yeah. I saw
1: what he was doing. I'm like, I'll try and do something similar. Right. And uh, so then I developed a little bit of an arm and then first time I ever had to play quarterback was my freshman year uh, in high school. And our quarterback, he was kind of struggling a little bit, banged up. So they put me in, and I got to throw it a little bit. And we won. The, it was like the last two games of the season. They're like, "Okay, you can play. Yeah. You know, but we'll keep you a receiver if you can move up to varsity." And so I played receiver, then finally played quarterback. But it was my freshman year, I remember. And he was uh, our quarterback was a
0: little banged up and kind of struggling. And they thought, you know, "Why not try James?" Yeah. So you get to university, hit some injury problems, eh? Hey? Oh, definitely. But it
1: started off great, I freshman year I got there, I worked my way to the backup position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to play in about three or four games and did okay. Didn't do terrible, didn't do great. Then the next year, I was my first year starting, and so I had a really good season. Um, I totaled 3,000 passing, 1,000 rushing, and I was on all these like preseason watch lists for the following year. I mean, teams were telling me if I were to play as well as I did my junior year, third year at university, as I did my second year, I get drafted in, like, the top three rounds in the NFL draft. Yeah. Like, oh, all this different stuff. I'm like, oh, this is sweet. So I'm training really hard in the offseason and doing great. And then I tear my labrum in my throwing shoulder. So typically – Did you get hit? No, so it was in practice. I was uh, running. I fumbled the ball. And so I dove out mm-hmm. to recover it. And my hand was on top of it. My shoulder was elevated. Then a guy came and landed on my Whoa. shoulder and just heard the snap. And my arm was like a noodle. And so uh, – this was about three and a half, four months before the season was starting, mm-hmm. And this was my big year. What was my, going through your head at that time? Uh, well, when it happened, I, first thing I thought was, okay, injury or labor injury. What's the, what's the recovery time? So I looked it up, yeah. and it's anywhere between six to nine months for throwing athletes. Right. like, man,
0: that is insane. Like, I'm,
1: it's too long. I don't have that much time. Yeah. Chance. I was thinking, okay, I can come back half the season. And I'm like, no, I got to take it one sip at a time so i was killing the rehab mm-hmm. I, mean, I was doing rehab like six hours a day i was working on flexibility obviously after the surgery i had to make sure it, it healed then i worked on flexibility and then strength mm-hmm. and i was coming back and then i started throwing a Nerf football in two and a half months i'm like okay who are you going to do one of the trainers <laughs> he got his hands got way better than all <laughs> season because he's catching a lot of Nerf balls yeah. and then the season was about to start we had about a month away then i started throwing a football and in my head i just kept thinking this is the year, yeah. you know. I'm gonna get drafted. I'm gonna make millions. I'm gonna win all these different awards and get all this attention. So I made it back for the season. The so record time it was like three months. That's incredible. And I, I was pumped. And yeah. some people thought I rushed it back, but I was like, no, I'm good. First game of the season was great. We won. The arm felt great. Second game of the season, not so great. Not so I uh, I was going to throw the ball. Some guy hits my shoulder. I hear a pop. I'm not sure what it is. I thought maybe. One of the stitches had broken. Mm-hmm. Um, Coming to find out, I busted a bursa sack, so my shoulder's fine, but I had to miss that rest of that game. We lost. had to miss the next game. We lost. That's all right. Come back. Mm-hmm. Playing Vanderbilt, first quarter. We're up by 10. Guy hits my knee, tear my MCL. Ugh. Oh, man, that, that hurt. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, am I going to be out for the rest of the season? No, it's a partial tear. So just okay. six weeks out, three weeks in a straight leg brace. All right. So I come back in five weeks, but we lose. It those four games uh, I missed because one of them we had a bye week. We lost all four. Yeah. Like, all right, that's all right. I'll come back. So I came back maybe a little earlier than I should have. Right. I was a little tentative on it. And so as a quarterback, weight transfer's huge. Mm-hmm. Every time i throw, I wouldn't transfer weight, so I sailed every ball. Mm-hmm. We were playing this team that was ranked sixth, Florida Gators. We weren't ranked at all. I threw four interceptions, so I basically felt like I gave the game away. And we only lost by seven. Mm-hmm. So everyone's just killing me. You suck. Like, yeah. And you know, you're like, like, this is what
0: I wanted, though. Is <laughs> yeah. it, I, like, I, I wanted to take this. That's okay, right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so uh, what I didn't expect, though, I wanted to take that was starting to believe it. Because mm-hmm. I started to think, okay, well, look at the facts. know, I haven't won. I haven't been doing good. I've been struggling in this area. So maybe they're right. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of self-doubt. But I was, I was overcoming. I was thinking about what I was thinking when I was doing rehab and therapy on my shoulder uh, and on my knee, and I just thought, you know, I can do this. Mm -hmm. So I came back the following game. I got hit in the head, concussion, had to come out. Early in the game, we lost that game. I had to miss the last game of the season, and this was the first time we hadn't made uh, a bowl game, which is kind of like playoffs, before they had college playoffs, in like 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So I was
0: just getting killed. And so like, you broke the streak in their minds. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I
1: missed a total of nine games. Yeah, that you year. didn't even
0: play out this season. Yeah, but you know, I'd rather be me than someone else. And so, but it was so. Tough. So you had the bursters, you had the MCL, and you had a concussion all in one season. Mm-hmm. And if you technically want to count the labrum, but that was like at the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yes, sir. That's a bad year. That be a really a bad, bad year. That would uh, that'd be enough to keep someone away <laughs> for good.
1: Yeah. Well, what's crazy is my first year. I didn't miss a game, but my first year starting, I cracked my sternum, fractured my hip, um, broke my ribs, broke my two fingers, busted a bursa sack in my knee, and tore my hamstring,
0: but I was still able to play. You didn't miss a single game. No. <laughs> so it was not It was bad, but it wasn't that bad. So you got a pretty high pain threshold. <laughs> Is that fair to say? I'd like to think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and then what happened the next? So that was going into your draft year, right? Mm-hmm. That was the year I was supposed to make it all happen. And... Then uh,
1: nothing, nothing. So uh, because of all the injuries, because of missed playing time, you know they suggested, okay, you know you you're so injury prone, like a team doesn't want to take you because it's a huge risk. Right. So you you know it's best for you to stay out and play your last year. Mm-hmm. So I'm like,
0: okay, now I'm off the radar. I'm not on any preseason watch list. None of it. Right. Is it looked at like as a as a huge drawback for players to skip their first year of eligibility and go into the second year, or does it is it kind of like no? Either way.
1: It kinda of depends on your situation. Right. So if
0: you just had a great year, your
1: eligibility year and just killed it, then it's probably best to go that year because mm-hmm. then as long as you're healthy at the end of the season, you're guaranteed to get drafted. Whereas if you come back you risk the you Gotta have a whole other season. It. Yeah, and yeah. you can get hurt, you can play bad things like that. But then on the other hand too, if in my case you have a bad season, um, you have a lot of injuries, mm-hmm. you know, you can kinda of use the following last year of eligibility to show what you can do yeah so it was kind of either way but a little disappointing because in my head i thought this was the year i was going to come out for sure
0: and right you set up the, the expectation right? oh yeah and that's what can be so devastating if, if you have those high expectations and you don't get there yeah. and it was devastating that's for sure how did you mentally recover well physically obviously you're a, a beast <laughs> in rehab But <laughs> mentally how did you recover
1: for that for the following season so a lot of things that that i thought about and talked about is my dad always did a good job of Remembering that you know football is not the most important thing in life, and there's other things out there. And I told you earlier we come from a spiritual background, so um, a lot of spiritual spiritual reasons. But I just knew that you know if this doesn't work out, I'm still going to be okay. Life's still going to go on. I, no. I still want to become a husband one day, become a father one day, have a family. Football is not going to ruin that um, just because I, I can't play or get drafted. So I was thinking a lot of, about that mentally, and and I was thinking uh, you know I I've got a lot of motivation, but what do I do next? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a, a thing that I that kind of realized early on was, you know, it's not how hard you work, it's how smart you work. Everyone's like, work harder. You got to put in hard work. That's true. But you also have to work smarter mm-hmm. because you can wear yourself into the ground. So I thought about all these different things and I thought, what's the best kind of motivation for me right now? And it was all the tweets, all the Instagram posts, Facebook posts of people saying how much I was terrible. All the haters. Oh, yeah. yeah. How much they, they... They said the worst things to me, and and it was just so much motivation, though, because I wanted to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my motivation going into my last year. So, like I said, I was off the radar. I was just training working hard, and then finally, the season started, and it was great. We went 6-0. and We're mm-hmm. undefeated. I'm leading the country, and we just moved to... Uh, the Southeastern Conference, which is at the time was considered like the best college conference league. Right. So six and zero, killing it. I'm leading the the nation in yeah.
0: touchdowns. Everyone's back on Team Franklin. Oh yeah. yeah. At least I thought.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and just like you know, this is it. In my head, I'm thinking this is I'm gonna get drafted. Like I'm dominating right now. I'm gonna be up for Heisman. All this stuff's gonna happen. And then um, the sixth game of the season, or sorry, seventh game of the season, we're playing Georgia Bulldogs and I'm scrambling out, nothing's open, throw the ball away, mm-hmm. take a couple steps. This is like two seconds after I throw the ball away. This guy hits me, this defensive lineman, he's about 300 pounds, picks me up, slams me on my shoulder, my Come throwing on. shoulder, oh. and I hear a snap. And I'm thinking like, oh, no, I'm fine. So I get up and I move my arm a little bit, like, oh, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. So the next play is passing play. I had the option to run it if I didn't like it. Drop back, go to throw it. Huge sharp pain in my shoulder. I'm no. like, man, what is this? So then I I decided to run it, run straight out of bounds, like a three yard gain. But I had like 30 yards of open field in front of me. Yeah. So everyone's kind of confused, like, what is he doing? Yeah. Anyways, go over to the sideline. Trainer checks it out. Separated my shoulder, grade two separation. And so they told me I'm gonna be out for the rest of the season. We had at least you know <laughs> at least six, seven games left. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, like, man, what? Why does this keep happening to me, you know? Like I thought I was doing everything right. I'm taking care of my body. I'm not going out partying, all these different things, whatever. I knew I could come back sooner, at least in my head, because I did with my surgery. <laughs> the history was there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I came back in five weeks, and then I played well, and I could take some hits. and But then, because the other quarterback had come in, mm-hmm. uh, we played some teams that weren't the best, and um, he did okay, but the fans really loved him. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was calling for his name, so, what we did is we rotated. I'd go three series, and then he'd take the fourth series. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of frustrating. I'm like, man, you know, I was leading the country in total yards and touchdowns, and then just because he comes in and does okay, like yeah. they're gonna they're gonna play him. I'm thinking all these different things in my head, and yeah. so I had to deal with that. And I was a little selfish at the time, thinking like that could be me out there, but now I have to sit and wait a series for to go back out there for him to be done. So, anyways, the season comes to an end, or we go to the SEC championship. And high-scoring game. I end up with like five total touchdowns, but we lost. I believe it was like 57 to 43 or 47. I mean, it was really
0: high-scoring game. Yeah, it was like we, a back. And you guys score. were still rotating back and forth. We're in still the game? still rotating back and forth, but is in that, this game, is we that did. Typical? Like, is that usual in in college?
1: Yes and no. So it depends on the style of quarterback. Sometimes i yeah. will have like a strictly pocket passer quarterback yeah. and then like a wildcat guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the, this SEC championship game, we didn't rotate mm-hmm. because he was saying like, I had more experience and I could handle it, whatever. Right. But yeah, it, it's kind of hard to do that because it takes away a little bit of your mojo, so to speak. Of course. You know, you're the te- technically the leader of the team and yeah. then you're having like split time yeah. and like... That's why they, they say there's a lot of one chief, but a lot of Indians, and yeah. it's hard to have two chiefs. So Of course. It, it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on the, the personalities that you have on the team and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But So that happened. We ended up losing that, but we went to the bowl game. And in the bowl game, though, it was, was big. So if we would win this game, we'd tie for the best record in school history. Okay. So we're there, and man, I don't know if like the guys' teammates went out too much or what, but in that game, the whole game, there was a total of seventeen drops, which really? is a lot. Yeah. My completion percentage was fifteen to forty-one, like the lowest it's been in my career. Right. But like guys, I th- third play of the game, guy running a dig, running an in route, excuse me, goes right through his hands, gets picked off. Yeah. Because it tips off it, and I'm like, man, like so. And I'm you were frustrated. right on the money. Oh yeah, it was passes. a good throw. Yeah. And then I mean, guys not blocking, guys running the wrong routes, guys dropping the ball. I mean, it was just. Crazy. But then when the other quarterback came in, yeah. oh it was like the floodgates opened and he's just like on fire. We yeah. drives down, he throws a ball that is ill advised, but he made it work, mm-hmm. touchdown.
0: Yeah. So everything that can go back. wrong oh, for you is going wrong.
1: It was. And so and here I am thinking, you know, I, I at the time I wasn't aware of it, but looking back I was selfish. Like, mm. I I didn't I wanted to get the win, but yeah. like, you know, I'm supposed to be helping lead in here. You know, I'm supposed to be the guy that's helping with the lead this team to the best school record in history and anyways we ended up winning the game but everyone was tweeting at me and posting it on me like hey we're glad you're gone like you suck you're terrible and we're ready for the other guy kind of thing and so then uh i'm thinking you know i got hurt but i came back and i still did pretty good i finished off strong and um maybe i'll get drafted but draft came around and it didn't happen there's Mm -hmm. only one team that called and they wanted to sign me as a free agent and it was the Detroit Lions Mm -hmm. And then I was there for a couple months, and then just got cut.
0: Yeah, what was your, what was going through your head when they called and, and wanted to sign you? Were you were you pumped or was it kind of like mm-hmm. a consolation win? Like, consolation win, for yeah, because sure. they were, you wanted uh, to earn it like through the yeah. draft. And yeah, I can get I get that.
1: And they were the only team that called too, so yeah. it was definitely a huge blow to think. Okay, well, I pretty much have to say yes if I want to pursue football because no other team is called. Right. So it was uh, really deflating, but I definitely learned a lot from it. What did you learn uh, in that training camp with them? Well, uh, I learned that the NFL is not always the best player makes the team. A lot about politics. Um, So going into it, I didn't get to a lot of reps in practice. But the reps that I did get, I was doing well. And I was doing better than the guy that was in third string. And I was, in my head, competing with the guy that was second. Mm -hmm. But he was a guy that got drafted in the league about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't a standout guy, never been a star, or he started one season and just did terribly, and he's been a backup ever since, mm-hmm. but they were more comfortable with him than trying a new guy. And then the third string guy, never started a game, mm-hmm. was in the NFL for about three years, and he had the experience, and even though I was doing better than him, it didn't matter. Okay. And then I even saw guys on the, the field, like on defense and offense, like, I know I've played against guys better than these guys, but they're still here, Yeah. but the thing about it is they're going to sell tickets, mm-hmm. and a lot of people know their name, and so because of that... A general manager wants to keep them around, and so it was really eye-opening because I
0: thought, for sure, it's always the best player is going to be on the team, but it was a lot different. So what's the dynamic, then, on an NFL team, or any team for that matter, um, professionally, like between the coach and the management, because how it works in hockey is the coach always wants to win no matter the (laughs) circumstance the manager the GM will typically have a longer term view in mind so take the Oilers current season which has been (laughs) incredibly disappointing and we're not going to make the playoffs that window is closed so Pragmatically speaking, from a team, long term team fan, from like a general manager's point of view, you would pretty much want to lose every game for the rest of the season to put you in the highest potential draft position, right? Win yep. the draft lottery, get that number one overall pick. This year he's a stud Swedish defenseman. <laughs> um, but from a coach's point of view, you, you want to win as many games out yeah. of the season as you can, you never want to lose games. You're never going to try and lose games, right? Mm-hmm. So does it work the same way in football, or is the coach more on side with management in that sense?
1: Uh, it kind of depends on the team. But for the most part, um, the the general manager always makes the decision or has the final say, so to speak. And, on cuts? Um, on cuts, yes. Uh, so the okay. head coach, he can put in his input. Yeah. And then, like you said, the head coach wants to win regardless. Um, and sometimes the end game, because in football it's a little bit different where – you can't just have one guy come and make such a big difference because uh, it, it's really hard. For that. Even if you have the best quarterback, he still has to have guys blocking for him, yeah. knowing his protection. He still has to have the receivers making plays, running the right routes, things like that. Um, so it's, it's really hard for that to happen in football. So the mindset of, you know, lose the rest of the season and get the highest draft pick mm-hmm. – isn't as there as it is in hockey because oh, okay. uh, it's just it's not as impactful in football. But it right. uh, depends on the coaches. Some coaches like to be actively involved mm-hmm. in, like, hey, you know, I think we should keep this guy and voice their opinion. And oh, what about this guy and this guy in the future? But as you said, too, um, the general managers think the long game. Yeah. And as you know, head coaches don't always last a long time. Right. They have a couple bad seasons. Yeah. Fans want them out of there. Coach and- gets fired before <laughs> the GM, oh, right? Yeah, yes, sir. So um, in that aspect – the GM, he'll make the decisions. To find, like if a head coach is like, look, we really need this guy. I really want him. He could still say, you know what, I'm cutting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now on the flip side, if the GM was like, look, I really like this guy, and the head coach didn't, he's <laughs> going to keep him. Yeah. Uh, so they typically work together though, because as you, with any job, the better you work together with it's someone, be a team, right? oh yeah. yeah. So yeah, the di- dynamics a little bit different, but. Um, it kind of depends on which team as far as how involved the head coach wants to be Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day he's going to have to coach whoever he gets Mm -hmm. Um, now
0: some guys try and get a say some guys don't but Mm -hmm. it just depends on the personnel right so tell me how it was that you ended up here in Canada in the (laughs) CFL after after that uh, debacle yeah so uh well at first I had a buddy
1: who was up here with the Edmonton Eskimos and that I played with in college, a running back, and, and he said, you know, he was up here doing good and that I should potentially try it out. Mm-hmm. So I thought about it,
0: and I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll think about it. And then... What, what was the CFL, sort of jumping, but what was, the, what was the CFL to you before that conversation? Was it even on your radar? Had you even put any thought into it? Did you know what it was? No idea what it was. Really? I... Thought it was like a a European football team. I mean, <laughs> I feel terrible. May as, I mean, may as well be right. <laughs> like you're in, you're in football mecca down there. Like why yeah. would you be looking elsewhere? Yeah,
1: and that's the the perception that I got because when I started to look into it and do some research, I got a lot of people saying or or a lot of comments saying it's a D league. Mm-hmm. and It's not very good. But I still didn't know it was in Canada. I was still thinking <laughs> it was in Europe. And so then I called uh, a while ago when I was in college. I went to the Archie Manning Passing Academy, or the Manning Passing mm-hmm. Academy, mm-hmm. and so like Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, and their dad Archie, and their brother, um, I'm trying to think of his name, but anyways, uh, I went there, and I got to meet them, and they were all really nice, and uh, Mr. Archie Manning, the father, he had texted me a couple times my last year in college, after some games, and said like, you know, hey, you know, keep the faith, and keep believing in yourself, and right. You know, you'll get through this kind of thing. And I thought that was really cool. And he always said, text me if you ever need anything. Right. Yeah. And typically, you know, some people at times, people just say that to say that. Like, oh, let me know if you need anything. Like, I'm always here. Yeah, You can tell when people are genuine with that. Yeah. Though, right? you can. Yeah. And he seemed like he was. And so I called him and I asked if we could, you know, talk and get some suggestions. And I know he's really busy and mm-hmm. he's very well known. And I didn't want to take up much of his time. So I just asked him, what was the best window of opportunity back into the NFL? Mm-hmm. So then he was like the CFL. He listed all these leagues and then I looked it up more and found out it was in Canada. There you go. And um, so then I started to really pursue it and I went to six different CFL workouts in the States. They have tryouts in the off season all around the States. Mm -hmm. And so I drove to all of them and you've got to pay a hundred bucks up front to do the tryout. Thought I did really good, didn't hear back from any of them. And then on the fourth one was in Nebraska with the Edmonton Eskimos Mm -hmm. and the guy told me, the head coach was Coach Jones at the time, and he said, You know, you should probably pursue the Arena League football, which is lower than the CFL. Right. He's like, You need to develop your skills and things like that. And I'm just Is saying, that like the XFL? Similar, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's actually, I guess, it'd be uh, above the XFL or uh, below it at the same time. Because the XFL like, was gone and then it came back. And then right. it's gone and then it's coming back. Yeah. Um, so, but the Arena League football has pretty much been there for a while. Anyways. He said I should do that, and then I just thought there's no way he wants me. And then mm-hmm. a couple weeks later, he calls and he's like, Hey, you want to come to our little mini camp? Yeah, and I was like, Yes, sir, I'd love to. And then he called a couple of days and said, Hey, we want to offer you a contract. Yeah, and I'm like, Oh, I'm in. And nice, so that's how it kind of happened. And you know, I was thinking too that the CFL was a D league, and because I didn't know anything about it, right. I'd never watched it, never seen it, nothing. And then come to find out, like, it's a really talented league. Like, there's a lot of players that could be playing in the NFL that mm-hmm. are here or that have played in the NFL that are here yeah. or some that have gone from the CFL to the NFL. And so it was really exciting. And then when I got here, I realized, like, this is a good league. And mm-hmm. I, I, my wife and I enjoyed being up here. And, you know, we kind of – we liked it a lot more than we were expecting to. And, <laughs> you know, we were <laughs> Low expectations along. in that yeah. sense, right? <laughs> you didn't have okay. sky-high ones. <laughs>
0: What uh, what's you know, you said it's it's a lot more of a, a talented league than you thought. So what was your experience and you, you were with the Eskimos now for three years, mm-hmm. was it? Um, but you were kinda of stuck behind Mike Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, so how was that for you? Like what what have you learned in the last three years and, and how tough was it too like being being a backup when you got the, you got into this because you wanna be the guy who wants to play, right? Yeah. You wanna be the guy. Oh, so yeah. how have you had to sort of adapt your mindset? Well, so when I first got here, um, I did the training camp with
1: the Eskimos and then played the preseason games and mm-hmm. did really good. And, again, naive thinking, oh, I'm going to make it for sure. Yeah. So then uh, I get cut, and they put me on the practice roster and say they want to develop me. And kind of frustrated because I was thinking at the time, you know, I can't even make it on the roster in the CFL team. Like, I'm, I've got to be bad. And then first game of the season, Mike Riley gets hurt, mm-hmm. and I get moved up to basically the backup now. And the mm. backup that was before me, he was now the starter. Right. So he played a couple games, did good, did bad, and then they let me play some. Because we he was struggling one game and I came in and uh, only on five completions, I threw three touchdowns. Yeah. And uh, it was like, okay, he can play a little bit. And I was really excited because mm-hmm. I was like, yes, yeah, so I'm making the most of my opportunity. opportunity, yeah. And then uh, the next game, kind of the same thing. I He was struggling, I went in, did pretty good. The next game, same thing. I went in and did pretty good. And finally, I got to start, uh, I think it was, like, game 9 or 10. And I did. I was fortunate enough. Everything was working well, special teams, defense, offense. And I did really good and we won that game. And then Mike came back and ended up starting again. And then I got to solidify a backup spot. Mm-hmm. But I had this experience, and so I was really excited. And, and I knew that I just had to wait and be patient. Then the following year um, – I only have to play one game, the very last game of this regular season. Yeah. Uh, but I did really good. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to do really good, and I threw four touchdowns in the first half. And then, I'm like, okay, still just being patient. I have one more year on my contract. Yeah. So then the, this past year, 2017 season, um, I got to go in just a couple games. But again, I was fortunate enough to do mm-hmm. really good, and and then now I'm I'm going to Toronto, um, and Ricky Ray, he's coming back, so I'll be the backup, and mm-hmm. hopefully have a chance to compete and maybe beat him out. And if not. Hopefully it's just one more year. I have to wait, but just trying right. to be patient. But what I learned a lot from Edmonton was uh, how important it is as a backup, not to cause controversy. Because, as I said earlier, that saying about there's one chief and a lot of Indians, um, you can't have two chiefs. And right. thinking of the bigger picture in college, I was selfish and I was one that guy to be me. And I was a starter and I got hurt, so I shouldn't have this taken away but how much that affected the morale of the team because mm-hmm. everyone has different relationships. I didn't, I wanted to make sure I didn't do that here. And being a backup, you kind of have the hardest job and the easiest job at the same time. And what I mean by that is, yes, you have the easiest job. You don't play, but, right. but you, you're you the next guy up, so you're not playing the game. You're still getting the benefits of being on a good team and winning and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. get to be healthy, but then it's the hardest job because you don't get nearly as many reps as a starter does in practice. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Sometimes during the week you'll get maybe a total of five reps where the starter gets anywhere from 50 to 70 reps. Yeah. So a lot more experience, but you have to know what to do on every single play if you put in in that position. If you put in, if the starter goes down and you're going in, you have to know what you're doing. And right. so um, I learned just to make sure I'm prepared even though I knew I wasn't gonna be starting. I knew I wasn't gonna be playing yeah. at the beginning. I still had to be just as prepared. So my preparation changed a lot. Before, it was like, okay, I know I'm not going to play, so I'll kind of slack off a little bit and mm-hmm. not, not study as much. Of and, course, yeah. Yeah, so it was. Uh, I learned just a lot about preparation, a lot about being more of a team player, and a lot about I saw the things that the starter Mike Riley did mm-hmm. that were good and a lot of things that he did bad, and I was able to learn from that. Mm-hmm. So I was able to mentally go through it, and without having the uh, actual responsibility of, right, or, or credit of winning, or responsibility of losing, or making a mistake, mm-hmm. but I was able to do that mentally, and I felt like my preparation mentally really improved. And uh, being a backup is is hard because you want to play, but it's also very rewarding mm-hmm. just because you
0: can sit back and observe and analyze for when you get your opportunity to play. How, is it tough though to put yourself in that position and say I would have done X, Y, and Z differently? Like when you're not there, when you're not getting you know stimulated physiologically by the circumstances of the event right like it's yeah. easy it's easy to be the armchair coach and say like <laughs> you know oh I would have thrown to the other side instead of that side but until you're in the moment like it's almost impossible to know right it is impossible to know and then that's the thing that I've tried really hard not to
1: do is compare myself mm-hmm. uh, because I as a person too and again going from my spiritual background I try to compare myself to really anybody because Everyone's life is so different. And even if they were to say, people were saying, oh, put James in instead of Mike, well, It's impossible to know how I do in that situation Mm -hmm. because, and I can't say that I could do better, because receivers, they know who the quarterback is, and just the different relationships, like psychologically, mentally, subconsciously, they're going to act differently. They're going to run a little bit differently or catch the ball differently or or time their jump differently Mm -hmm. with a different guy throwing the ball. So it's impossible to say that I could have done the same thing or better in that position because I'm not Mike. And he's not me, and I haven't gone through the things that he's gone through. So I try not to compare that I would have done this or I would have done that. Instead, I try to strictly look at the plays. When I was live on the field, on the sideline, I'd look at the plays, go through my progressions, and think, in my head, boom, I threw it to him. Mm -hmm. Or I'm throwing it to him. And then sometimes Mike would, sometimes he wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But again... I'm not there out there on the field so it's impossible to say. Right. So that was a good learning curve for me because I would say, see those things and take mental notes <laughs> and then when I'd watch the film I'd think okay maybe I wouldn't have because I couldn't see the guy that was right underneath <laughs> that would have picked it off. Yeah. Um, so it it was tough to to really not have the responsibility, the adrenaline, the psycho the physicalness of doing it but mentally I was able to At least make it in my
0: head to where I was making the right decisions, and then I was developing and learning from it. Was it hard then, because you had evaluated like all your teammates based on watching them react to to Mike? Was it hard then when you went in and have them because you think you know what they're gonna do based on them, (laughs) based on watching Mike with them? But now all of a sudden you're in, and then they're acting differently than you've gotten used to them. Was was that a thing at all? Uh, Or am I just digging way into (laughs) way (laughs) too deep into that? No. Yes and no. So. Like I was saying before,
1: it's having a different relationship with mm-hmm. them. Uh, some guys respond differently, and I'm—I uh, like to say, I can make friends with anybody or, or get along with anybody. And so, uh, sometimes it was—it was positive. The guys would joke like, "It's Franklin," they sing that little Franklin the Turtle song. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Franklin, and they joke and they do these different things and make it more relaxed. And so, it was hard though because in practice, I'm behind the guys, behind Mike when he calls the plays and he interacts with them. And it was different than when I would go in and interact with them. And so it took me probably a few games to of playing to realize that it is different, but it doesn't mean it's worse, it doesn't mean that it's better. Uh, but I, I just had to be able to adjust to that because, like you said, I was looking for how they responded to him, how they reacted to him, but they did it differently for me. So and until I was able to actually go through it, that's when I really realized that it's different
0: and the only way to prepare for it is being a part of it not just sitting back and observing. So walking into a new dressing room in Toronto do you know any of the players there already? No I don't. Pretty much none eh? No nobody. How do you approach that? How do you go into especially a team that just won right and try (laughs) and try not to upset the balance what's your strategy going to be going into that room? Uh, I would say well what I've been thinking about a lot is just being quiet and keeping
1: to myself because I'm uh, I definitely consider myself outgoing, and I want to make friends with everybody, but I also know that Ricky, in the beginning of the season, he's going to be the starter, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be the backup. Mm-hmm. And so going into a mindset of, okay, I'm not trying to get everyone on my side, not his side, mm-hmm. um, but just keep, keep kind of keep to myself, and um, like I'll talk to the guys and everything, but not come across as arrogant. I don't want to come across as a know-it-all or that I'm about to be the franchise quarterback or anything like that. Um, just kind of keeping quiet and getting to know the guys, and um, really just working really hard. I, I enjoy working when nobody is looking. When I work when people are looking, I feel like I overthink it. I feel like they think I'm doing it because they're looking at me. But uh, I, so I always nice feel deep. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always feel like I'm just doing this for show, even though I know I'm not. So uh, I like to to put in the work whenever I am by myself because I just think about. A lot of the things that i've been through and a lot of things that i want to accomplish and it just motivates me to keep going harder and harder if i wasn't doing football i would totally be doing boxing because i'm telling <laughs> you all the aggression that i have inside and like the frustration i'd lose i would love boxing that's right i we went
0: to that boxing class right there. yeah <laughs> it was got, the best you got a hell of a punch i think you could uh, you could certainly uh, pursue that as a career uh, so is it is it good do you know ricky at all have you met him before I've met him after games, which is kind of
1: funny because the last couple years I've gotten to play a little bit and Mm -hmm. we played them. He's always come up afterwards and said, like, hey, I'm really looking forward to seeing you play in the future kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Little did he know it might be (laughs) at his expense. Yeah, Uh, but he's always been really nice. I've heard a lot of good things about him, so Mm -hmm. I'm excited to get to work with him and officially – Get to know him a, lot, a little bit better.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a different year for you learning under someone new, basically, mm-hmm. right? Like you've watched Mike for three years so closely now, and all of a sudden everything changes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, uh,
1: I try, and, and it, this might sound very arrogant, but one of the things that frustrates me a lot is I understand I know, I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot to learn. I can improve um, and everyone has been said, like, oh, you've had so much time learning behind Mike. Like, that's been great for you. Now you're going to have a year to learn behind Ricky. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. I can learn from anybody. I can mm-hmm. learn from a fourth-grade quarterback. It doesn't matter. But I learn best on the field, not the right. bench. Yeah. And so when I I get it, and I, I'm going to be as respectful as I can be, uh, but I'm going to be working as hard as I can to get the starting spot because I can learn a lot from Ricky, but he doesn't have to be in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, like, I just – I really thrive off the experience of learning uh, or learning through experience. And so um, that's one of the things like I'm my mindset going into it is I'm not going to be saying this to my teammates like, oh, man, blah, 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 this. I'm better on the field than than on the bench. But mentally, that's kind of how I'm going to go into it and try and prepare for the season and to get the starting Mm -hmm. spot because
0: you have to have that confidence in yourself right that's the life's about confidence right and yeah. especially in athletics it's got to be at an all, all-time high you've got to be able to put the bad play behind you and, <laughs> and you know that i totally sympathize with that. it's got to be tough not actually getting the opportunity to do that to experience that but it's pretty incredible that you've kept yourself so ready even though you're not, you're preparing, preparing, and then you don't get to execute. Like I, man, like I, I could understand how anyone could just get lazy with that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially too, man. In the when when you have that
1: opportunity to make a good amount, a decent living of for six months out of the year mm-hmm. of kind of being the guy in the background, not doing much, it, it is very tempting to be lazy because mm-hmm. you know I think by for some of us by nature it's like okay I like to relax I don't want to do a whole lot like I kind of want it'd be nice if things worked out for me perfectly and mm-hmm. I didn't have to go through struggle and adversity but uh, it's it's definitely tough I, I went through some as I was saying earlier I went through some points in my life where I kind of was being a little
0: bit mm-hmm. lazy and sitting back and well, it makes sense it's just it's physics right things in motion yeah. stay in motion right and if you <laughs> if you gotta start from a standstill that takes far more effort than if you're already in stride right yeah it's it, it's it's just natural in my in my opinion. Um, oh, sorry. That's all right. Who is it? You can answer it. Uh, it's Kaylee. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll call her back soon. Um, how much is going into learning this new system that, that you're uh, going into in Toronto? Is it like, is it back to school for you? Like, is it studying the playbooks? Is it hours and hours pouring over these books? Fortunately, no. Okay. It's, the offense
1: is very similar. Okay. It's about. Rough estimate, maybe, like, 85% the same offense and, like, terminologies and things. Mm-hmm. So, thankfully, I, I've been fortunate enough. I haven't had to learn a completely new offense. So, mm-hmm. I, uh, I've i been really excited about that because it's – I enjoy learning. But the more – the better you know something, the more it becomes second nature. Yeah. And you don't have to think that much about it.
0: Right. But,
1: yeah, so I'd say it's, it's almost identical. So, I have a little bit of a learning curve, but – it shouldn't be too bad.
0: What would you be doing
1: if it weren't for,
0: um, you know, if you weren't doing football, if you weren't boxing, for example, <laughs> what uh, What would you want wanting to be doing with, what would you be wanting to do with you? I haven't had enough coffee today. That's uh, okay. Uh, probably, I really enjoy
1: public speaking, mm-hmm. um, motivational uh, preaching, I mean,
0: any form of it. Okay. I feel Just like... Just be like, I'm doing a podcast. Yeah. I wonder... They answer, go ahead. There's no way her she's gonna. You better answer. Oh sir.
1: Hey. hey. you okay? Yeah. Okay. I <laughs> 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 <That> was uh <laughs> saw, I was thinking you were uh, like water broke or something.
0: Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh,
1: oh man I'll be there in a second. Um okay, yeah, I'll uh I'll call you back then here when when we're done. We're almost done. Okay, okay I love you. <laughs>
0: Oh, <laughs> oh man, that would have been Ooh. incredible. Oh. I would
1: have been like, I'm coming oh. with you. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going live. <laughs> I didn't even think, first time she called, I didn't even think about, like, oh, she could potentially be going to labor. Right, well, it's a time. new
0: thing you've never experienced. Yeah. I didn't think that either until <laughs> you thought it. Oh, all right, man. Um, <laughs> now the heart's going. See, we'll wrap up quickly so you can get back to your lovely <laughs> wife. But um, public speaking. Yes. So, what's uh, your target audience there? Like, who are the people that you want to impact? I kind of lean towards kids, the younger generation, but mm-hmm.
1: everybody in life can be inspired and motivated. Of course. And that's something that I really get motivated by is being able to help improve someone's day or improve their state of mind, their perspective. And I don't have all the answers. I, I don't know everything, but I have learned that everyone in life. Will deal with adversity, Mm -hmm. and the the most successful people have overcome that adversity. But they've gone through it. Um, You know that I believe there's a saying about how uh, or iron sharpens iron kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, But when we whenever we go through something that's difficult, something that's tough, sometimes it breaks us. You know, we we start to believe differently than what we initially did believe, and it's it's difficult because. When we think we can do something and then we think that we can't, we're very hard on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Everyone is their own hardest critic. I mean, that's where the thing in sports is always bothers me is when coaches get on to a guy for messing up. Like if I throw an interception, I know I'm not supposed to throw an interception and I'll beat myself up about it. And then you're going to tell me like, hey, that's you can't do that. I'm not like, oh, you kidding me? I thought I could do that. Oh, no way. Thanks for the
0: input, coach. I know.
1: And so when we go through our, our adversity in our life, that's what... It can feel like the world's going to end. It can feel like this is the most important thing right now. Even if it's in high school, if you get dumped or you go to your school (laughs) dance and you mess up, it feels like life is over. And so when we get older, we typically learn that. But when we're at a younger age, sometimes it's harder
0: for us to understand that. Of course. And you don't I, have the perspective yeah. of years of life, right? You think everything oh, yeah. happening is the most important thing that's ever happened <laughs> in the universe to anybody.
1: Yeah, no. especially, I mean, your, your data is up. You can't send or you can't get on uh, Instagram or Snapchat <laughs> without Wi-Fi. So yeah. it's like all these things that seem so life-threatening. Yeah. Um, so that kind of, that's why I kind of lean towards the younger generation because mm-hmm. I, I hope to impact them and influence them, give them a different perspective. But uh, really, anybody who's willing to listen and to try and help inspire someone to accomplish something they never thought they could—is mm-hmm. it's hard when no one's on your side. Uh, but when you believe in something, nobody can take that away from you. Of course. There's this—I uh, heard this in a song before, and I really liked it. They said, "Anyone can take your life, but not what you believe in." Mm-hmm. And I found that to be very powerful. And if you can—if I can help someone believe in themselves or believe in something they want to do. Mm-hmm then I'm all for it. So I really enjoy that. And the the people person aspect of it from that I got from my dad, he's a big people person. I like to think I
0: am too, just right. talking to people and uh, trying to make a difference in their life. How do you approach speaking? Um, because you're obviously a guy that believes like actions speak louder than words, right? You said in your football, it's just, you know, I put in the work no matter who's watching, and that's going to be what leads to the results. So how do you approach speaking in, in the sense that, well then you have to use your words you know you yeah. have you have you have to talk so what, what kind of things do you talk about your life experiences like what do you talk about a little bit yes i talk about my life experiences um
1: but mostly i try and relate it to them mm-hmm. because i believe that we are most impacted by something we can relate to uh, so when i talk about i guess sometimes i'll tell my story and talk about what i was dealing with i'll try that if i'm talking to a high school group uh, I'll try and relay that to something that, when I was in high school that I th- went through, or I'll try and do research online and think, okay, what, because I went to high school
0: yeah. eight years ago, yeah. so what? What's happening
1: now? now yeah. yeah, what's going on now? What are they going through now? Um, so I try and just make it as relatable as I can, but uh, in my research I found that comedians, speakers, public speakers, and actors have a lot in common as far as being able to convey a message mm-hmm. And have the right facial expressions, have the right mannerisms, have the right movement. And so I try and do a good job of whatever I'm talking about, um, explaining that almost like physically, like with hand movements and right. gestures, uh, but then also standing in a confident manner. Because you know when you, when you watch a performer on TV, mm-hmm. uh, it's like they know what they're doing, like a, a veteran performer. Yeah. Like a, everyone watched Justin Timberlake on the Super Bowl halftime show. Right. And he obviously knew what he was doing. He looked comfortable and confident. But then sometimes on the, the shows like uh, The Voice, like up-and-coming stars, like singers and yep. stuff like that, and they, they're not used to that, you can mm-hmm. kind of tell them they look uncomfortable. So you mm-hmm. have to believe in what you're saying. You have to have that conviction. You have to show them that you believe what you're telling them to believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's kind of difficult to do at times, especially when you haven't done as much research or, or you're not as prepared as you'd like to Life be. Life gets in the oh, way sometimes. It does. Yeah, you got to get all these different things out of your way. and. Until you can get it done. But yeah, yeah, doing research is probably uh, one of the biggest things that I try to make sure I know. So that way when I make an analogy and give an example, it's really relevant to them. And they feel like they can connect. And they can, whatever I'm telling, they can substitute my name or substitute uh,
0: my career for their name or their career. Yeah. What's the saying? If if you fail to prepare, you better be prepared to fail. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Something Uh, like that. I've also heard it is... Failing to plan is planning to fail. Yes, yeah. that's a, that's. A, I think that's a better one. <laughs> um, so you said that, you know, you constantly hear from people that, that your dad changed their lives. Mm-hmm. And you want to be someone that impacts people really positively as well. Is that at all intimidating to you to have this, this you know, your role model looming so large and knowing like, and he's impacted so many people, like I wish I could just do half of that, you know, or how do you approach that? At first it is a little intimidating,
1: yeah. but then a lot of people I'm sure have told my dad how much it impacted his life but mm-hmm. then there's also been a lot of people who, ha- who haven't mm-hmm. and that's what kind of took a lot of that pressure off of me is I might speak in front of 100 kids and reach one of them I might reach 50 of them but I'm not always going to know because I, I'm not expecting them to come up and tell me hey yeah. look what you did or this is what you helped me improve in my life mm-hmm. um, but knowing that they don't have to tell me in order for it to have happened. That gives me a lot more confidence uh, and takes a lot of the pressure off of like, okay, I got to impact guys just like or people, just like my dad did. Right. Uh, and it, it was it was tough at first because I, there was no way to know and how was I to know if I impacted any of these kids? Yeah. Uh, and then it's kind of been cool. So just even in the past weeks after I signed with Toronto or re-signed with Toronto, I got messages from kids that I spoke to that when they were in high school and like, Hey, I've always been pulling for you. And I remember you you told me to never give up on this or whatever. And it seems like you're not doing that either Mm -hmm. or you're not giving up on it either. And I I got thought things like that were really cool. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that I'm impacting people. Uh, It's just,
0: being okay with not knowing if you ever had. Yeah, of course. Well, and it's kind of like being the backup too, right? Like you're always, <laughs> you're always consistently preparing, even though you might not get the feedback from the results, you've got to keep doing it and you got to be confident that you're doing the right things. Yeah, right. definitely.
1: Uh, you got to be confident and you have to uh, have a plan and, and try to and execute that plan, but also
0: be willing to adjust because as everybody knows, things don't go according to plan yeah. every time. Just appreciate the things that uh, that are <laughs> happening to you at the moment. Yeah. Is there anything you want to leave uh, the listeners here with? Any words of wisdom from the wise Franklin? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd say wise, but, uh, man, no, I've, I really appreciated this. I,
1: I, I've I, learned so much, and, and I always hope that something I can say can relate to someone else and help impact them. And uh, I don't know. I've just been – just been – and myself and trying
0: to think, man, that's that's a good question. I should, you know I should have thought of something like yeah, that before. Yeah, no, no problem. I mean, the past hour is is a wealth of information and a wealth <laughs> of wisdom. So, not to put you on the on the spot there, but you know, we wish wish you the not, nothing but the best in Toronto. And sad to see you go, but super pumped for your opportunity. Um, and yeah, it'll be, it'll be watching, make watching the Eskimos a little tougher and knowing <laughs> that, you're, that you're not there ready to jump in the action, but, uh, certainly be pulling for you no matter what happens. And, and just grateful to uh, have you have been in the community for the last three years. It's, I know it's the waves of your, of your presence have, have impacted a lot of people, whether you understand that or whether you're aware of it or not. So thank you very much. Oh,
1: I appreciate that. And I've been really excited to be here in Edmonton the last three years and, And we're having our daughter here, technically, in St. Albert. but
0: (laughs) That's Uh, right. Some great people come from St. Albert.
1: (laughs) That's all I've heard. But, no, I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate the the time and the kind words. And, you know, hopefully, who knows, maybe in 10 or 15 years, might do it again Uh, and see see where I'm at in life. See if if I've gone on and helped win a bunch of great cups or gone
0: back to the NFL or just played another year and hung it up. You never know what's going to happen. That's right. All right, James, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Later. As always, guys, it means the world to me that you tuned in and listened. If you like what you heard, go on iTunes, leave me a rating. It would really mean the world to me. Have a great week.